0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm thrilled to have a a woman joining us today from California, actually. Uh, Her name is Amanda Kennedy, and Amanda is uh, the CEO and founder of Sassy Backs, which is a shapewear company. And she's also spent uh, many years uh, as an actor and also a psychotherapist. So we're going to have a lot to discuss today. Thanks so much for joining me, Amanda. Well, thanks for having me. I, you know, you have led quite an eclectic. Life and I have so many questions for you, um, but it's probably best that we kind of keep everything chronological and start at the beginning, um, as we always do here on the show. So, I'd love to hear um, about your growing up years and your childhood and and what your aspirations were as a young girl.
1: Well, at five years old, my mother, um, my mother was always, you know, teaching us things to. Do in the house so that we were helpful, and I think I was like five or six, and she was teaching me how to clean a sink in the bathroom. So when she left the room, I, I kind of didn't really want to do it, you know, because I was I was young, but um, it was a great lesson to learn. But what I did to entertain myself in front of the mirror while I was cleaning the sink was pretend that I was doing an Ajax commercial. That was was a pivotal
0: moment in your acting career
1: Yeah, and that's when I knew that I loved the idea of being an actor So um, I kind of pursued it on my own a little bit in high school But I was extremely shy And there wasn't a whole lot of encouragement You know, for that kind of life or career, shall we say um, Coming from Kansas City at that time in my life, I was living in Kansas City, mm-hmm. so it was it was kind of it was kind of a secret fantasy, really. I think, and then it really started to blossom when I started modeling at fourteen um, for Hallmark Cards, which is located in Kansas City, and then I started doing tea room modeling on Saturdays at the local department store, and. Um, decided to go to college in Dallas, and there was a booming modeling industry there um, with Neiman's and, you know, other catalog companies. And so I started modeling in college, and, you know, I I always needed money as a college student, of course. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I'll model and I'll make, you know, $60 $60 an hour, which was like ridiculous amount of money in my mind because I think my allowance was $100 a month.
0: Right. So, well, especially <laughs> back then, $60 an hour, that
1: was a lot. 60 an hour and 300 a day. Wow. So I thought, wow, wow. yeah, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> so I started modeling for the Kim Dawson agency there. Mm-hmm. And it's an agency that still exists today. It's an excellent agency. And um, You know, that's when I really started getting confidence in front of the camera and knew that I had to go to Hollywood and become an actor.
0: Yeah. Tell me the story uh, behind, you know, at the age of 14, how did you get that first job modeling?
1: I was walking down the hall of my uh, high school and a woman approached me with this big, huge camera around her neck. And she was like the quintessential photographer type, like with shoulder-length bobbed gray hair, you know, khakis and a white shirt and this huge camera around her neck. And she said, you know, would you like to model for Hallmark Cards? And I'm like, what?
0: <laughs> so she just was kind of coming in to the high school to, to do a little looking around.
1: To scout. Scouting, to scout, yeah. You know, this is in the days before people like that were probably – You know, people like that were able to do those things because you didn't have the kind of strangeness that goes on in the world today with the predators. Right. Right. Well, locked doors of of schools. Right. it was a different time, a much Mm -hmm. safer time. Yeah. So she said, here's my card. I work for Hallmark Cards. And talk to your parents about it. And my parents called her. You know, I said to my parents, I really want to do it. So my parents called her. Um, they invited her over so that they could meet her and talk to her, and it was all on the up and up, so they said, sure, you mm-hmm. know, so I did this whole series of puppy love cards for Hallmark cards at 14, Yeah. so it was kind of like, you know, a, a, a Lana Turner story of being discovered at Schwab's drugstore in right. Hollywood, <laughs>
2: you
0: know,
1: and um it was, just, it was just a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. Well,
0: and plus it was Hallmark Cards. It wasn't, you know, a, a magazine that perhaps mom and dad wouldn't have been happy with.
1: <laughs> oh, yes. No, yes. I never did anything like that. Right. In fact, I was approached to do that when I was on television, and I said, no way I would not do that because, A, I'm too shy, and B, um, it's just not, to me, it's, it's exploitation of women, and... I don't think that builds self-esteem. I think that tears it down.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm always uh, interested when, when um, you know, actors or models talk about the fact that they're shy. And mm-hmm. you hear that a lot, and somehow they end up being in front of the camera or in front of an audience.
1: Well, being in front of the camera is very different than being with a person mm-hmm. because it's a camera. <laughs> so it's just very different. And... Um, being in front of an audience, you know, you're lit by a spotlight, and you don't see the audience really. And you learn a trick very early on with audiences. If you do see them, to pretend that they're all naked, and you know, <laughs> and and so they're the ones who should be, you know, more embarrassed than you by being up there performing. Because right. you know there is an exhibitionist an exhibitionistic quality about being an actor in that you have to, you know, do private things sometimes in a very public venue, but, um, you know, like kissing or something. Um, Of course, they go a lot further than that now. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, you do have to do things that are kind of embarrassing sometimes. So you just have to pretend that you're alone.
0: Right, right. Um, tell me about your years at, at Southern Methodist. Um, you, you decided to, to study fine arts and journalism. Uh-huh. And, um, and I think it's very interesting. Um, I read that you, you left after your sophomore year. That's um, right. and, and went to L.A., and that took a lot of guts, I think, um, especially since Mom and Dad were not real pleased with that decision. No. How, how did that come <laughs> about, and, and um, you know, what gave you the courage to do that?
1: Well, I, I never look at it as courageous. I was just so determined that it was just something I had to do. Um, through the modeling, I had gotten signed up for the Miss Dallas pageant, which, you know, I thought pageants were kind of silly, um, because I was like a serious journalist, and I wanted to be a serious actor. And But when they said they were giving away $25,000, I was like, okay, sign me up. Right.
0: <laughs> Another then, good way to make a living.
1: Well, you know, it was certainly a good way to make some money for a college student who had an allowance of $100 a month. Right. So um, an SMU is a, is a school that... You know, I was there on partial scholarship, but it's a school where a lot of the kids have a lot of money. And I came from a wonderful background of a uh, lovely middle-class family, but there were kids there that were, you know, really, really rich. And so, you know, at that age, you kind of feel like you have to keep up. So I I was driven for, you know, extra money so that I could go to happy hour with the girls and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, where you might spend 10 or $15, and, you know, if you have an allowance of $100 a month, that doesn't go very far. Right. So um, anyway, I joined the Miss Dallas pageant. Then I found out after Miss Dallas that I had to go to Miss Texas, which I didn't even know when I signed up for Miss Dallas. I was so naive about pageants. And I didn't even want to go to Miss Texas. And they said, well, no, you have to. It's in your contract. And I said, oh, yeah, I signed a contract. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what did I know? I was a 19-year-old kid. Right. So um, I went to Miss Texas. I ended up winning um, in a $10 dress that I had gotten at the mart from one of the reps. And it was a... (laughs) It was the same dress that Farrah Fawcett had worn on Charlie's Angels one time. Oh, wow. And I thought, well, it's a $10 dress, but if it's good enough for Farrah Fawcett, it's good enough That's for me. That's right. It brought good luck. <laughs> and it was really pretty. I mean, it was a one-shouldered red long dress, very simple, no sequins. And I got to the pageant, and everybody was in all these elaborate sequin dresses with chiffon skirts and stuff. And I was like... Oh, no, my dress is so plain. Right. But whatever. I ended up winning and um, shocked me. And then I went on to Miss USA, and I was first runner-up. Um, and I met Eileen Ford, who was, you know, the modeling agent of her day. Right. And, you know, her agency still is one of the best. And she encouraged me to, you know, come to New York and model. Well, my parents said, no way, finish your college education. And I said, okay. And I went back to Texas. And, um, as I said, I ended up leaving college after my sophomore year because I wanted to get to Hollywood. So I, I did it. And, um, my dad was wonderful. He drove out with me to LA and, you know, helped me move into my first apartment here and, you know, my parents were upset, but they just knew they couldn't stop me. Right. So they became very supportive. And my dad told me that my mom didn't sleep for an entire year oh, when I first no. moved here. I bet. I bet. You but- know, because she was worried. She was nervous. Right. right.
0: Did you have siblings, Amanda?
1: Yes, an older sister and a younger brother. Okay.
0: And how about your mom? Did she work outside of the house?
1: No, my mother was a homemaker mm-hmm. and um, a very, very, very good corporate wife. My dad uh, was very successful in the corporate world, and my mother was a big part of that. She uh, gave parties for his, you know, business associates, and she um, and she was his confidant, um, and she gave him good advice. She was very smart. And um, although she didn't get enough credit, in my opinion, for all of those things that she did, um, I give her credit for it because, you know, and my father did too. But um, I don't think the world gives women enough credit when they decide to stay in the home. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And um, my mother was very good at it, and she was an excellent mother and an excellent wife and an excellent partner to my father
0: right and allowed him to do to do the work he was doing
1: absolutely yeah. and to have a family right and and a family that you know and my parents were married for 60 years wow
0: that's wonderful
1: until my father died 2 years ago okay
0: yeah that's that's really an accomplishment uh, in today's world for sure <laughs> um yeah. and what paths did your siblings take did they
1: my sis- well my sister did not um Go into the professional world until after her first marriage, which which was a short marriage, um, and then she was a salesperson at the Dallas Morning News for years and years and years, sold advertising, and then she she was very successful at that. Inherited my father's incredible gift of of sales,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, then she went into uh, selling annuities and was a financial planner and her second husband and she had a business for years and years. And um, now she is a cancer survivor for six years and she hasn't worked since cancer because uh, cancer takes a toll on people um, like none other. And, And she's really... She's really better off not having a lot of stress in her life right. at this point. Right. I'm so um, happy to hear she's a survivor. She is, and she's a survivor in many other ways as well. So mm-hmm. she she um and she just recently got remarried and to a wonderful man and he's just perfectly happy with the idea that she, you know, is probably not gonna work again. Although she's looking for a job, but I don't think it's really the best thing necessarily, unless it's something she really loves.
0: Right, right. Something that's more of you know a, a hobby, perhaps, or just something or to, more fun. Yeah, and more fun. Annuities. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um. Okay. So tell me about what is that first year in L. A. like? You know, you're a young girl, and you go there with with aspirations to be an actress, and uh, you know, we'll get into you know, the years that followed and and all of the things that happened. But what is that first year like? What do you do? Who do you go speak to?
1: Yeah, like, how did I start? How did Um, you start? I was just brave. I was more stupid. I was so (laughs) stupid. I was just incredibly brave. I was so naive to the... Naive, I think they call that. Well, but I mean, really just brilliantly naive, because I was so brave as a result. I didn't I, had, I never even entertained the idea that I would fail. It never even crossed my mind. It was like, here I am. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's I a great attitude.
1: I, I look back and I just crack up because it's like, please, every pretty girl, every pretty girl on the planet comes to Hollywood thinking that, you know. Right. And here I was, this little girl from, at that time, Texas. And, you know, I did not have a... Wrong acting background, um, just a tremendous amount of hubris, I suppose. And um, I literally walked into ICM, International Creative Management, which you couldn't do today because I'm sure they'd have security guards. Right. Yes. But I literally walked in, started to walk up and down the halls, and stuck my head in people's offices.
0: <laughs> Hi, I'm here! <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and I just, I, I die laughing when I think about it. Well, I ended up in Jack Gillardi's office, who was the, one of the movie agents. I think at that time he had Barbara Streisand, I think he had Jacqueline Smith, and I think he had Telly Savalas, and um, Valerie Perrine, and... Oh, all these, all these old names. Big stars, right? right? Yes. And I literally ended up sitting down in his office and chatting with him. And he said, well, you know, can you act? <laughs> and again, with my hubris and naivete, I said, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a script. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, you know, hurriedly I got myself into acting lessons. And, um, you know, and like I said, I did have a a minor background from high school and college but not a major one. Mm-hmm. I mean there's people that come to Hollywood that have been to, you know, Yale drama for goodness sake. And um you know, so Whatever. I didn't know the difference. It it was great. I didn't know the difference. Sometimes naivete and and sheer stupidity is a good thing. That's right. That's right. Because you wouldn't do the thing. You wouldn't. I I, I always say this. You wouldn't do some of the things you did if you really knew all the pitfalls. Right. Exactly. You only learn the pitfalls once you get into it. That's right. So it's kind of good to be naive on certain levels um, because you just kind of like, go in fearlessly and say, well, failure is not an option. And that was my attitude. Yeah, that's terrific. So I I very hurriedly got on a series called BJ and the Bear. I think it was, I don't know, six months into my living here, Mm -hmm. being in in Hollywood. And um, my television agent was uh, a woman. And so she got me on that. And, you know, the rest is history, as they say.
0: Now, how were you supporting yourself for those those early years? Were you working? Did you have a job while you were?
1: Um... No, I was modeling. Oh, I you were modeling. modeling okay. Agent. I got a modeling agent uh, right. through my agency in Dallas. I found out, you know, who the agents were that I should go see in, in L.A. Right. And so I got an agent here and I was doing modeling and supporting myself pretty nicely on that. Mm-hmm. And that was just for the sake of money, I really didn't have any aspirations of being only a model. Not that there's anything wrong with being only a model, but that's not that wasn't my goal. Right. So that was just a good income. Right. And then I got on TV and never looked back. And at the time, I should say my name was Barbara Haran. So, but if you IMBD me, I'm Amanda Kennedy because I legally changed my name um, to Amanda which was my middle name uh, when I got... I, I legally changed my name when I got married to my husband, Bruce Kennedy. Okay, so Barbara was, prefer- a, was a stage I, name, I guess? Barbara Horan was my, my acting name and my birth name. Um, so Amanda Kennedy was my middle name, but I always liked the name Amanda better than Barbara. Uh huh. And I should have changed my name when I came to Hollywood. In fact, my mother even said, why don't you if you prefer that name? And I thought, no, because... You know, I I I was I was young and I thought, no, I want everybody in high school that was mean to me to know that it's me on TV (laughs) (laughs) as if they wouldn't have known. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so funny because I heard another actress say that one time and I just died laughing because, you know, you you think you think you're going to get revenge somehow to people who were mean to you by becoming successful because there's that old saying of success is the best revenge. Right. But you know, by the time you get there, you don't really care anymore. <laughs> right, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Darn matter. It. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And then you grow up and you realize that all the people that were mean to you just helped you become stronger. So. That's that's exactly right. That's... So you kind of you know, you kind of want to thank them in a certain in a certain sense. Yeah.
0: Uh, Amanda, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about uh, the self-esteem issue that that you mentioned about being an actress in Hollywood. We'll Uh talk about that when we come back.
3: It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks. And some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the mutual fund store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face to face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your mutual fund store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the Mutual Fund Store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330.
0: It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's
3: IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments.
0: Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes, Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844, or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic,
3: hardy-har-har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks, be well.
4: Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the city of life. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information.
5: Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits, and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized Success. InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at insourcenow.com to find the quality help you need.
0: Welcome back to the show, everyone. Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined today by Amanda Kennedy. Uh, Amanda is the uh, CEO and president of Sassy Backs, which is a shapewear company currently. But uh, Amanda had also ex- some experience as a model and an actress in Hollywood and uh, just before the break, Amanda, we were, we were talking about your years uh, there in Hollywood, and I know you spent about 13 years, I guess, as an actress. And one of the reasons um, you decided to leave eventually is uh, has to do with self-esteem in women. And I'd love for you to talk a bit about the effect that um, that had on you and, and what you mean when you say it takes a toll on women's self-esteem.
1: Well, everyone thinks that actresses have the world by the tail because, you know, normally they're attractive and they're, you know, if if you know about them, they're successful. And so everyone thinks, you know, oh, they must be so secure. Well, in fact, the opposite is actually true, because when you are in Hollywood, it's highly competitive. It is highly difficult to succeed And it is, um, you know, you're constantly having to prove yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even the biggest stars have to audition. I mean, I I heard a huge actress, uh, big star, say one time she was asked to audition, and she had two Oscars, so she dragged her bag into the audition And she sat down and she stuck one Oscar on the desk and the second Oscar on the desk. (laughs) And she said, well, some people think I can act. And that really kind of says it all. It's like you're constantly having to show people that you can do something that, They should know that you can do, Mm -hmm. which is act. (laughs) Right,
0: right. Well, I wonder if, too, they're just – sometimes they're looking to see if you fit the role, you know, of a certain
1: character. That's what they're doing in – that's what they're doing in their mind. But honestly, if you're an actor and you know what you're doing, you can make yourself fit the role. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, oh, you want a blonde? Yeah, I'll go blonde. You want a brunette? I'll go brunette. I can play the role. That's what acting is. So it's very interesting. Um, It's a very interesting life. You're constantly auditioning to occasionally work. So really the work is the auditioning. So you're constantly getting told no. You're getting told no more than you're told yes. Mm. You know, in fact, it's like being a salesperson you just are constantly getting the door shut in your face yeah well you know I don't care what anybody says about being strong um, and I'm mighty strong after a certain number of no's like thousands of them Mm -hmm. it starts to affect how you see yourself and think about yourself and you start looking in the mirror going well maybe I should change this or maybe I should change that or oh gosh I wasn't I wasn't this enough for, I wasn't that enough for, you know, and you, you, you kind of start blaming yourself for not getting the role, mm-hmm. even though you know, logically, it's not you so much. It, it's, it says more about them than it does about you. They're looking for something else that is right. as, as plain and simple as it is. They're not looking for you. They're looking for something else, or they don't know what they're looking for, which is frequently the case. Right, right. And so um you know all those no's affect your self esteem at least they did mine and I don't I don't know any actor friends that that say any different it's it's hard to say, to have people say no to you so much so it does start to make you feel bad um and for me I was so strong for so long and then finally it's like the dam broke and all this self-doubt came in the door. Mm. And I literally thought, you know, what is happening here? Am I having a nervous breakdown? <laughs> all of a sudden I was in tears. And I, and I had never cried over an audition. You know, I'd go to the audition. I'd find out if I got it or not. Frequently I wouldn't even hear if I got it or not. I, I mean, I'd hear if I got it, but if I didn't get it, I wouldn't hear anything, and that's the way it is, so I was just very strong about it, and but one day, after 12 years or 13 years, I just broke down, and it was like, whoa, what's this, so I got into therapy, and because I needed support, and um, I got into therapy with this wonderful woman, and basically, you know, I was having a a crisis in my life of not really wanting to do what I was doing anymore mm-hmm. and wanting to change my life I suddenly started to realize I wanted to go back to school and finish, finish my education that I had uh, a nagging sense of a lack of self-esteem because I hadn't finished my education and so I decided okay I'm going to go back to school I'm going to get my degree I don't you know, I don't know what it is exactly I'm going to study, but maybe I'll study some psychology and get to know myself even better and get to know what makes people tick. And, you know, but that's what you do as an actor, too. So the the segue into psychology wasn't that odd, because as an actor, you look at what makes people tick and you emulate them. As a psychologist, you look at what makes people tick and what people, and what makes people sick. So... Anyway, I went back to school, I got my degree, and then I liked it so much I decided to get a master's, and I got a master's in clinical psychology and became a therapist. So all those accomplishments, you know, finishing my degree, finishing my master's, um, and then passing the, the arduous test that you have to pass in order to get licensed in the state of California... All those accomplishments really built my self-esteem back up after years of having it torn down for reasons that really were not my fault. You know, people were rejecting me out of, well, she's not blonde or she's not a redhead or she's not tall enough or she's not pretty enough or she's not this or that enough, whatever, whatever the reasons were. Or they didn't think I was a good enough actor or whatever they thought. You know, so all those years of having it torn down, I kind of sort of arduously built it back up through accomplishments that had nothing to do with my looks and everything to do with my brain mm-hmm. and not that actors aren't smart because don't kid yourself they are mm-hmm. <laughs> they're very smart people, um, especially the super accomplished actors they're wicked smart but I just wanted to really exercise my brain, so I did, and I never regret it, Um, and people said to me when I went back to college at 32, how are you going to do that? I mean, gosh, by the time you get your your degree, you're going to be 34, and I said, well, yeah, but I'm going to be 34 anyway. (laughs) So Be 34 with my degree than without it.
0: I love that. I'm writing that down right now. I love that. Right. I can't not be. You know, 34. So might as well.
1: Right. I'm gonna be 34. So right. Who cares? Yeah. And then, um, and then when I went into my master's, people were like, "Well, you're gonna be 36 when you get your master's." Yes, I will be. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be 38 by the time you're a therapist. Yes, that's right. Right. And but that's young, young, by only the way. Be Thirty-eight. Right. And I'll still have at least another 50 percent of my life to live
2: Mm
1: -hmm. if I'm lucky. Right.
0: Right. You know, it's so interesting to me. There really are parallels between acting and psychology. Oh, yes. I think it's so ironic that, you know, here you left school early um, because you really thought that that being an actress and modeling in the whole Hollywood scene was what you wanted and Mm -hmm. then ended up. Leaving that, you know, coming to a whole full circle, um, and going back—that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, it it, it was tremendously interesting. Um, but if you really look at it, like you just said, it's not—it's not so odd, you know, because uh, it, psychology is what you study as an actor, but in a different way. And then I became a psychologist, and I had a practice for seven years, and I quite loved it. Um, But then I had to um, have two brain surgeries, um, which is ironic, too, um, because I had two aneurysms, which are not cancer, but they're they're little weak spots in your artery or vein. Right. And mine were cerebral. They were in the brain. So I had to have those corrected. So before I went into brain surgery, two of them, thank you very much. Um, I told all my clients, look, you know, let's just be honest here. I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> during such a risky surgery. Mm-hmm. I mean, su- such, a, such a big surgery, you know, 10 hours of surgery twice. Wow. And so, you know, I'm going to close my practice for now. Mm-hmm. And when I recover fully, you know, if I'm lucky, if, I, if God willing when I recover, you know, then I'm going to see if I'm going to come back or not. And so I, I very professionally siphoned clients off to other therapists or some people said, look, you know, I think I'm really kind of finished anyway. So I'd like to take a break. And, you know, so we wrapped things up and I closed my practice, Mm -hmm. had the two brain surgeries and recovered so quickly. It was It was astounding, absolutely astounding what modern medicine can do. The fact that people could be, you know, mucking around in my brain 10 days prior to my sitting at a dinner party for Christmas with my husband dressed in black tie Mm. around a table of uh, all of our dearest friends um, was just completely astounding. Yeah. And the fact that I had no cognitive deficits, I had no physical deficits as a result of either of the surgeries, it's just it's simply amazing. So I got extremely lucky. But it wasn't just luck. I did did tremendous research to find the best doctors, Mm -hmm. which is now what I recommend anybody ever do if they need, if they have a health issue, you have to research and find the best doctor that you can go to. Um, for that condition or case or disease or whatever.
0: Is that something that uh, was in the, your family or was that something that was...
1: They think my grandmother died of a brain aneurysm, but mm-hmm. they don't really know because I don't think they did an autopsy because most aneurysms aren't discovered until a person is dead. Mm. So, <laughs> um, you know, now we have MRIs and and um, CAT scans for the brain, But you don't get them routinely for a physical, which you actually should because 25% of the population is actually walking around with an aneurysm and doesn't know it. Wow. And that's a shocking, shocking statistic, but it's the truth. Yes. So, you know, it actually should be part of a physical, but, you know, the insurance companies don't want to provide that because it's an expensive test.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So, you know, my whole family had brain scans after i was diagnosed because my doctor said you know everybody in your family should be diagnosed because it is familial um but no one had them except me lucky me <laughs>
0: <laughs> well and lucky you me. you came out you know wonderfully that's that's amazing yes, i
1: came out wonderfully and i just as i said i just feel you know Well, I hate when people say they feel blessed, because isn't everyone blessed? Yes, they are. But I I really feel like, you know, God definitely had a hand in in all of it.
0: Yes. And, you know, any type of adversity like that kind of gives you a new view of life. You know, there's... It it, it sure does. Yeah. You just really look at everything differently. What year was that, Amanda?
1: I had those in 19... uh, in, I'm sorry, in 2000 and 2001. One was in December and one was in January. So so it was 2000 and 2001.
0: Okay. Well, I'm so glad that, that everything came out uh, the Thank way you. it did.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. We,
0: um, Amanda, we're going to take one last quick break. And when okay. we come back, I'd love to get right into how you founded the company Sassybacks. Okay. We'll be right back. Hello. Hi, Kelly, it's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again
3: on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments.
0: Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know, they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes, Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with
3: Walgreens. Thanks. Be well.
5: Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? Insource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest-growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. Insource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits, and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized Success, Insource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. Insource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact Insource today at 610 592 0800 or visit their website at insourcenow.com to find the quality help you need.
3: It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks, and some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the mutual fund store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face-to-face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your mutual fund store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the Mutual Fund Store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330.
4: Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnston, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the city of life. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path we provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at chloejomston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejomston.com for more information.
6: Welcome
0: back, everyone, to Women to Watch. I'm uh, here today with Amanda Kennedy, and uh, Amanda is calling us from LA, where she lives. And we were talking all about Amanda's previous years as an actress, and also as a psychotherapist. She got a master's degree in psychology. Um, very eclectic, eclectic life, and um, you've done a lot of really interesting things, Amanda. I very. Um, just very impressed with, with your background. Uh, but right now, we're going to talk about how you came to found Sassy Backs. And Sassy Backs, for the listeners, is a women's shapewear company um, that came about from um, just a personal experience, I guess, uh, I would say, Amanda, in your life where you saw a problem and you wanted to solve it.
1: Yes. Um, after I, well, after I had brain surgery and I, recovered so, so readily and quickly, I decided that I did not want to go back to psychotherapy, um, you know, to practicing being, you know, to, to, to my practice, I did not want to be a psychologist anymore. I wanted to start a business, which I guess had been sort of a hidden fantasy once again for a long time, but I never really had the courage to do it until I had brain surgery. And I thought, well, if I can survive brain surgery, I can start a business. Right, yes. It kind of made me fearless. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, what do I have to fear? But, you know, the, the worst that could happen is that I could fail, you know, and big deal, right? Right. You Just fail, move on to so something high. else. You don't die when you fail, I say to people. Right. You fail and you learn mm-hmm. from the failure, and it's only a failure if you don't learn from it. So I thought, well, okay, you know, I want to start a business, but I didn't know what that was. So I started kind of just exercising some of my painting skills because I needed to sort of unleash my creativity, I felt. So I was painting for probably, I don't know, maybe a year, and I was selling my paintings, hanging them at a restaurant that a friend owned, and um, and actually selling some of my paintings. And everybody said, well, you've found your business. This is your business. I said, no, this isn't a business. This is a hobby. They said, it's a business. You're getting paid for your paintings. And I said, yeah, but it's just somehow not enough. You know, it's just not, not going to be satisfying for me because I'm a people person. And when you're painting, you're alone. Right. Right. Yes. <laughs> so it was just too much alone time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, so... One night I was going out to dinner with my husband and I was hating the way my back, the back of me looked (laughs) because I had gained a little weight for the first time ever in my life uh, while I was painting for a year and being alone all the time and, you know, snacking too much. Mm -hmm. Um, I had gained maybe 15 pounds or something and I just noticed that the bra made... My back looked bulgy in tight T-shirts and tight sweaters. And, you know, everything at around that time, this is like 10 years ago, everything was called shrunken. I don't know if you remember that ridiculous fashion called shrunken. No, I don't. But there were shrunken T-shirts and shrunken cashmere sweaters and shrunken this and shrunken that. Mm-hmm. It was so stupid. But <laughs> it made everybody look, you know... Like they were wearing clothes that were too tight on them. <laughs> um and so and so, you know, of course, being a fashion victim, you know, that I that I am, I was wearing those things and I saw these bulges on my back and I was like, Ew, that doesn't look nice. <laughs>
0: that wasn't there a year ago. That was not there a year <laughs> that ago. That sneaks up on I, us. Yeah, or
1: <laughs> maybe I just didn't notice it, you know. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, I thought wow, the the modern bra is really antiquated because mm-hmm. it only is good from the front. Right. And so I thought, well, gee, that's not too hard to figure out. It was created by men, so they were only <laughs> looking at the front.
0: Okay. Tim is so, nodding his head in the studio here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, listen, God love it, the fact that men love our breasts, but... <laughs> What about the back of the woman? I just thought, you know, it's got to it's look good, too, because, right. you know, 50% of the time you're walking away.
0: Right, right. Well, and it has to be comfortable, too, and there's that, you know, that comfort comfortable. issue is not good it in the back. make bag.
1: you look smooth, mm-hmm. not bulgy. So I thought, well, how could I solve this problem? And a light bulb went off in my head, and I whipped out a pair of control pantyhose, and I cut the legs off. And I turned it upside down, and I stuck my head. Oh, I cut the gusset out, you know, which is otherwise known as the crotch, which I hate that word. (laughs) But the gusset, I like to call it the gusset. I cut that out, and I stuck this contraption that I turned upside down. I stuck that over my head, okay, and Mm -hmm. then I stuck my arms through where the legs would go. And I pulled it down over my torso, and I put on my little shrunken cashmere sweater to go out on a date with my husband for Valentine's Day. And I realized, oh, my goodness, it's like a control top for your top instead of your tummy. Did you show your husband this? Oh, my gosh. I walk down the stairs, and I go, (laughs) honey, I'm ready. (laughs) And he's like, well, what took you so long? And I'm like, well, I'm a girl, honey, you know. And I go, but look at this, dear. And I, like, whipped up my cashmere sweater (laughs) and showed him this contraption. And he goes, oh, my God, what's that? (laughs) And I I put the sweater back down, and I turned around, and I said, look at my back, look at my back. Because he knew that I was obsessing about this issue. Right, right. Because, you know, we share all these things with our husbands that we probably shouldn't. (laughs) They don't
0: understand why we care about this stuff so much. Right,
1: right. And they're like – you know, the, the worst question you can ever ask is, does this make my butt look big? Right. You know, they're completely <laughs> trapped. Like, what are they going to say that's to please you?
0: So did so, you say, does this make my
1: back look better? <laughs> right. So I said, look, 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 my back is smooth. And my husband was like, whoa, good job. Yeah. And so then he said, you know, that's an invention. And I said, well, I don't know about that, but maybe. So anyway. I then tried to stick cups in it, and, you know, I was cutting up bras from my drawer and trying to stick cups in it. And through the Hosiery Association, I found out that there were things called Santoni machines, which are these huge Italian knitting machines. And I found out that they could knit in the round 360 degrees, um, a product that could fit around your torso. So while they were used to making T-shirts and dresses and, things like that, and, and panties, um, I came in and said, you know, can you make a bra? And they looked at me like, well, no. <laughs> I said, well, can we try? Well, there was a woman at that factory, and she said, yes, I'd like to try.
0: Was this factory in L.A.?
1: No, it was in North Carolina. Okay. And, it's you know, through research, I found right. out where these machines were mm-hmm. and Blah, 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 blah. And I say to every entrepreneur, the Internet is your best friend. Right. Because you can find anything well, on the re- Internet.
0: Yes. And the, that's the, the, you know, the research part is such a huge part of, um, you know, starting any company. You spend a yes. long time. How, how long, how many years was it before you actually had, um, you know, the prototype? Or
1: Well, the prototype, um, I finally got the prototype in nine months. Okay, and that was right. fast. Yes, because that is yes. Well, because I was annoying. I pushed I pushed the factory <laughs> really hard. And, you know, I was just I was very charmingly annoying, but I was annoying, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I just pushed, push, pushed hard and I got my prototype and I said, you know, this is amazing. And basically then I started cold calling um rep showrooms at the LA Mart, and they all looked at me like I was completely crazy um, because they were all lingerie reps, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, manufacturers reps. And they all looked at me and said, well, that's not a bra. And I said, but it is a bra. It's just a different kind of bra. It's It's a new kind of bra. You know, and they said, but it doesn't open in the back, but it doesn't have wires, but it doesn't have hooks, it doesn't have eyes, it doesn't have adjustable straps. I said, it does have adjustable straps. They stretch to yeah. adjust.
0: Well, actually, without all those things, that's why it's so great. That's why it's so comfortable. Yeah, the, comf- the comfort is there.
1: The comfort factor is amazing. So anyway, long story short, I pushed and pushed and pushed, walked out of rooms practically in tears, said to my husband, Oh, maybe I really don't have a good product. He said, Yes, you do. Then I was at a cocktail party where I was talking to a young man about my product. And I was saying, you know, it's really kind of unattractive compared to like all the pretty bras out there. You know, in fact, it could even be called ugly. And he said, Well, you have a purple cow. And I said, Well, what do you mean by that? And he goes, Well, have you ever read the book, The Purple Cow? And I said, No, what's that about? He said, well, it's about how all the cows in the field are brown. And then all of a sudden in walks a purple cow. Right. And everybody says, well, that's not a cow. And the cow says, yes, I'm a cow. I'm just purple. Right. So I read the book. I literally went from that cocktail party the next day and bought the book and read the book. And it was all about how your product needs to be something Different. That's exactly right. Needs to be so unique in order to break into a field that is swimming with like product. hmm. hmm. You know, how many thousands of bras are out there? That's right. You so know, if you're not different, well, then what do they need you for? That's right.
0: You know, so, Sassybacks has come a, a long way, Amanda, uh, since that since the beginning, and we only have a a moment left, so I want to make sure that the listeners um, get your contact information so they can see how much the company has grown since that time. Uh, So it's sassybacks.com,
1: correct? Yes, it's S-A-S-S-Y-B as in boy, A-X as in xylophone.com.
0: Okay. I wish we had more time to to hear more about that story, but we just do not. So uh, maybe we'll have you come back again another time, and and we'll talk more about the company.
1: Well, it sure was a pleasure talking to you, Susan. You're a terrific interviewer.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Amanda. I appreciate it. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. Again, my name is Sue Rocco, and if you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to reach out to my website, womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Thanks everyone for, for tuning in. Have a great week.